Welcome to the Ideas on Stage podcast, your regular insight into leadership communication. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrea. It's great to be here. Great. And now with you, Jackie, I want to talk about your subject, your area of expertise, which is inclusion and diversity, particularly because I'm a presentation coach. I'm really interested in understanding from you how that applies to our communication and the way we communicate our ideas. Sure. So what the first question I wanted to ask you is, now, if you think about public speakers, presenters, what are the key things that they need to be aware of for them to be able to be more inclusive when they communicate their ideas? Okay, so um, well, thank you for the question. And, uh, and actually, I'm really pleased that this topic is now more on people's radar um, because, you know, the, I suppose the first part of my answer would be that um, the, the audience of any presenter will be by nature diverse. So if a presenter or any communicator in an organization is not being mindful of including people through the words that they use and you know, uh, other elements of their communication, then they are going to potentially isolate or ostracize somebody in their audience. So the words that we use are really important. Um, what I think is, um, it was very interesting when you said inclusion and diversity rather than diversity and inclusion. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, um, but I think what a lot of organizations and a lot of speakers focus on is diversity. And, um, and diversity, of course, is just difference. And it comes in many, many different forms. So somebody could be, um, you know, have a different race, ethnicity, gender, and so on and so forth. But they could also be uh, diverse, neurodivergent. So, you know, diverse in their thinking, the way in which they process. And cultural diversity plays a big part as well. And the way in which we use language may impact people of different cultures differently. So um, there are so many things to be mindful of, but the reason I like the fact that you started with inclusion is that you, you simply can't say to somebody, it's okay, you're included. You, they have to feel it and they can only feel it. We can influence how people feel. Of course, in the presentations that we give, it, it can be very emotive, our presentations. And so, it's thinking about the way in which we help create an environment and a platform in that communication that just enables people to truly feel as though they have a value and they belong. Yeah. Um, so yes, wor words are very important. In, in and actually, because, because you've just said that words are very important, I would love to explore them, that topic in a bit more detail with you. C could you... Could you give us some examples or just your ideas in terms of the impact of the language we use, the impact of the words we use, the labels we use, for example? Could, can we explore that, that topic in more sure. detail? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, words do matter. Mm. You know, um, and they they do have impact on people. And 
And I think the, the key is that, you know, there isn't a one size fits all with this. And, um, you know, you, you may have somebody, for example, that would use the term disability. Mm. Um, and, and that might upset one person and it might feel inclusive for another. So the, the key is really to be mindful of trying your best through understanding, through engaging with different people in society to really get a sense of the preferred terms. Um, so other people might say uh, differently abled, which is a really nice um, way of putting it. But again, there will be people that have that are differently abled that would say, well, disabilities works for me. Mm. Um, uh, another example, of course, when we think about race and we're describing people with a different rate of different race, some people say black, some people say person of color, yeah. some people say colored and um, and none of those are wrong. Um, they are just different and will um, be be received by different people differently. Um, so the, the point being is when I engage with people in South Africa, for instance, the the go to term there is coloured. And yet in the UK, coloured is a very outdated yeah. and in some ways uh, for some people offensive term uh, for somebody of a different race. Um, similarly, um, especially, you know, race has been in the media a lot recently. And, um, you know, there are people that would say, um, you know, I'm not black, I'm brown. I've had somebody else say, um, I like to consider myself latte. Um, you know, that's just personal preference. So uh, I think really when, when we are delivering communication, if we are not absolutely certain of the labels that are required or preferred by people in the audience, then we either minimize the use of or we use a combination of. Right. Does that make sense to try yep. and appeal to everybody? Um, that, because yes, I mean, what, what any presenter doesn't want to do, of course, is to unintentionally offend or isolate people yeah. in their audience. Yeah. That's very useful, Jackie. And also it makes me think about one very important thing when we communicate, which is something that you mentioned at the beginning, you mentioned the audience. And, and of course, the first step is for us to understand our audience as much as possible. We, we always tell our, our, our clients and, and our audience that when, if you think about when you give a presentation, often we think that it's our presentation. But actually, it's not. It's their presentation. It's always the audience's presentation. Always. And I think that's very much connected to what you've just said, also in the words and in the language that we use. Yeah. And, and also, Jackie, are there, say, for example, that this is a topic which is a bit new to somebody, it could be a business leader, a business professional, an entrepreneur. And they find it interesting. They say, well, actually, I haven't thought about it so far, but I do need to make some steps, even small steps, for me to be able to be more inclusive in my communication. What, what would you say? What advice would you give? Okay. So 
well, the first thing would be to get yourself grounded, a grounded level of understanding of what actually we mean by mm. diversity and inclusion. That would be a first step, because I think, you know, the more uh, and, and often, of course, you know, presenters are educators. So the more we can educate ourselves in the first instance is going to be helpful. Um, the second thing would be, um, of course, storytelling, which is very, very powerful when we deliver presentations. And I, I think it's important to, um, yes, where you can use your own stories, of course, but to pick those stories carefully and mindfully so that the story is, again, less likely to offend or, um, or not really resonate with certain people in your audience. So as, a, as an example, I, um, when, I, when I present, I often say to people, um, think about a time when you perhaps felt like the only one. And, and I, I give them a few examples. I say it might be that you were the only person of that, your gender or your color in a room, but it also might be that you were the only person with glasses or you were the person that was a little bit overweight or whatever, whatever. So I give lots of different examples so that there's more likelihood that that example will resonate with more people in the audience. And, and, and I sometimes have people stand, actually. I say, you know, everybody stand and sit down only if you've never felt like the only one. And then I give a list of examples. And every time I've done it, nobody sits down. And so what it highlights is that somebody's differences may not be the same as my differences, but everybody knows how it feels to be different, right? Um, the way in which they felt it is their personal story. So, but it's, it's an example that I can use when presenting that will by nature be an inclusive example. And it's, it's very clever to, to do it that way. And it, it took me a bit of doing, you know, but it, it's a clever way of doing it because you want your messages to land with as many people as possible, right? Um, if you've got half your audience that go, well, I, it didn't really resonate with me, then they're not gonna see what the benefits are of taking action on the back of your communication or your presentation. So, yeah. No, so you go ahead. Be, I, I didn't want to cut you off, Jackie. That's all right. Yeah, no. so, that, so that would be my advice really is to, to pick your stories carefully and if in doubt, give a whole host of examples. That's great because yeah, you're absolutely, we, we all know that storytelling is super, super important if we want to communicate our ideas effectively in a presentation, but in general in communication, but it's not just about any story. What you're saying is that it has to be a story that resonates with as many people as possible in any particular audience. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And also, and also Jackie, now so far we've been talking about our communication, the language we use, the words we use. But actually, if we think about it, if we think about inclusion and diversity, it's not just what we say, it's also what we do. So as a business leader, again, what advice would you give a business leader, a business professional in terms of what they can do perhaps differently to embrace inclusion mm -hmm. and diversity? Wow. 
I don't know if we have time for me to go into everything that they can do. Let's give it a try. Maybe Let's a few ideas. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, you know, educate yourself. Um, because, you know, and I said this in my TEDx talk, we copy what we see every day. Like kids. Sorry? Like kids. Like kids. Like yeah, it's, it's how we learn. Yeah, it's how we learn language. It's how we learn behavior. We copy what we see every day. So it, it almost doesn't matter what a business thinks it stands for. It doesn't matter what values they portray on their website and on their posters and so on, unless those values and, uh, and what they stand for really comes to life and it's visible in the actions and the language of the people within it. And the leadership teams, they, they may think that the organizational culture and becoming more inclusive is somebody else's responsibility. Maybe they have a DNI officer, maybe they have a HR department, but they are the people that know it or not, many of their workforce aspire to be like. They see them as focal figures. And so it is the leadership teams that really drive that culture. And so, yes, understand. Um, be if you present be the same person on stage as off stage mm. that's that level of authenticity flawed or otherwise um you know that that i think is so important because inauthenticity of course is so trans transparent you know so uh, you you have to be yourself everybody else is taken right so it's about being the best version of yourself on and off stage and 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 almost treat treat yourself as if you were constantly being videoed i mm, guess interesting you know and um you know and if if somebody were to play that video back of your action your language your behavior would you be proud that they said you know your life video or your behavioral video is going all over our media to promote this company would that be really a proud and uh, you know presentation that you would hope to have of your organization yeah. i think maybe one other thing i would say is the and it's not really about presenting but it is about inclusion and diversity but think about the consequence of getting this wrong um you know there are many reports about the pounds and pence the dollars and cents or the euros that um discrimination and a lack of inclusion costs businesses and it goes into the millions if you go into the states it goes into the trillions and that is in that is and and these are real figures um that you know you've only got to google and you'll see it and and these are figures that come as a result of either lawsuits and you know actual discrimination victimization or harassment cases but they're also the unseen, so the less obvious cost when uh, organisations have a high turnover of staff and then they have to reinvest to get good people. Um, those attraction campaigns, it's the lack of engagement that they have with their workforce that could be causing a lack of productivity and a lack of collaboration and innovation. So there's so many, um, perhaps on the surface, intangible things that are consequences often of not having a fully inclusive environment where people, yeah. again, um, feel as though they belong. And I yeah. think the, the the stats are something like, and then I'll, I'll be quiet, but I think the stats are something like 
80% of business leaders think they have an inclusive company. But those stats are reversed when you ask the employees, right? So in other words, you know, it's 80% of the employees that don't think the organization is particularly inclusive. So where is that disconnect? Um, this, it isn't going away. Humanity isn't going away. And, and we know that, as you said, our presentations are about the audience and the way in which we lead business should be about our people. Yeah, absolutely. And and you said that there are maybe some of some intangible that could be seen as intangible things that we can do, or we can say, but the consequences and the impact is very tangible. Right. And do you have if if you don't, it's not a problem at all. But I'm just thinking now. Can you think of anybody or any company, either a business leader or a company who you think is doing a great job when it comes to inclusion and diversity? Do you have anything in mind? There's some great examples, um, you know, that, that, that I can offer. I mean, there's a whole list as well. So if anybody in your audience wants to seek out lots and lots of great examples of this, then my advice would be to take a look at just Google inclusive companies. Um, because there's a whole set of awards that are given and um, people like Touchstone Housing, Sky, you know, there's some really um, big names that, that have, uh, are doing things well. And um, so there's a whole host of different case studies. But what I would say is that there are um, some key things that these organisations do, and that is that they have a genuine um, commitment to this and not as a one-time kind of let's do a little bit of unconscious bias training and it'll be fine but actually there's an ongoing journey where it's almost like inclusion diversity it's not an intervention it is a part of the organizational culture which goes back I suppose to my earlier point so they're doing things like um, uh, making sure that they have clear visions for their um, organizational diversity and inclusion. So their policies are in place, but, but they have also ways that they are ensuring those policies come to life in their actions day to day. Um, they will be engaging with various different people within their organization and some of them outside of their organization to really um, get, uh, it goes back to this understanding piece again, you know, this deep, deep level of understanding from so many different people in society. They will be um, looking at the way they recruit people, looking at the way they serve their, their customers um, and, and, and of course their internal stakeholders as well. So, oh, that's just, I mean, it does go on and on and on. So that's just a handful. And, you know, they, they have very stringent recruitment practices that means that they are as, they are mitigating bias as much as possible. Um, and they just, they are just open-minded. Um, and I think, you know, the first step perhaps for any organization and indeed any presenter would be to think about, I won't always get it right, but I will keep acknowledging my flaws and keep pushing through because I make mistakes sometimes with the language that I use. You know, I, I said, I, I put a post on, I think um, quite recently um, that said something about, um, uh, people suffering with mental health illnesses or people suffering with disabilities and somebody quite rightly corrected me and and said 
well, I have a disability, but I don't suffer with it. I live with it. And so, so that I took that on board. I realized that actually my choice of words was come, born from a place of, you know, good intention, but, but nevertheless misplaced. And so I will never say that again <laughs> because I've internalized it to make sure that I frame it in a way that actually is much more positive. Yeah. And that's but it. It's all part of the journey. Yeah, and you're right, Jackie. I think what that tells us is that when you make a decision, a conscious decision to try and consider these, some of the things that we've talked about so far, I think you will make mistakes. Always. Anyway, you will make mistakes. But as you said, at least the intention is good. And if we start from that place of understanding and good intention, then it's a good first step, I guess. And, and here's, here's a, a super, super simple tip that anyone can take on board for presenting is please don't come on stage and say, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you might think, well, that's polite, but there, there are so many layers of gender identity in this world. Um, now, what I always also say is you don't necessarily have to agree with points of view to be able to respect points of view. And, and gender identity is um, something that various people will have different views on, but it's there, it's a thing. And there are, um, gosh, uh, one of my friends once told me there were over 60 different gender identities. Wow. So ladies and gentlemen, just, Actually, yeah, right. It could totally isolate. So, so simple to just say, "Good afternoon, everybody." Yeah, good afternoon, I love it. All of you. I mean, it's, it's so simple, but just that that switch, um, a minor, minor reframe of the language that we use. Um, and we know if you're a presenter and you're going out and you want to make sure that your message hits the last thing you want to do with your opening line is to isolate part of the or exclude ostracize part of your audience so simple things like that can just make a big difference that's great i thank you for that tip that's amazing and and also uh, as you were speaking jackie i was thinking that actually here what happens is that for a business leader for a company if you think about all the different touch points that you have when you run a business with your people, with your teams and with your partners, with your clients, potential clients, when you need to recruit talent, as you said before, there are so many things that you can look at where inclusion and diversity play a big role. So, yeah. And also another thing is that, and you touched it before with the statistics, that although it's not the most important thing, but there is a business value in what we are talking about here. Because of course you don't, you don't embrace inclusion and diversity because you can benefit from it from a, an economic perspective. You do it, I think you should do it because it's the right thing to do. Right. But it's but it's good to know that there is also a positive business value if you get it right. Yeah. And, you know, um, 
I, I think uh, I know you said, you know, it's not necessarily the most important thing. And 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 yes, I would agree with you. You know, we we don't want to do this because we think we should for the pounds, shillings and pence, as it were. Um, but if if that's what gets you moving on it, <laughs> go for it. You know, um, I think, you know, was it uh, Richard Branson who said many years ago, your your customers are not the most important. Your people are the most important. If you look after them, they will look after your customers. And, um, you know, I, I would stand by that. You know, I, I believe that there is nothing more important in this life than humanity. And, um, you know, and I believe that there's nothing more important in the business than the people within it, because they will make or break um, the, the bottom line. Right. So um, I do think that. And yes, I'm very passionate about it, but I've also spent uh, 15 years in the recruitment sector before I moved into learning and development and, and professional speaking. So, um, you know, I, I, I sort of know firsthand how the recruitment process as just one element um, is such a vital part of business success. Um, you know, you recruit the wrong people, problems. Um, you recruit the right people, and this is some, a bigger mistake, you recruit the right people and manage them badly, that is the probably the biggest mistake. Um, and, and, you know, I know we're going a little off piste, but briefly to say, you know, so, so often people think, oh, they were a bad hire. But rather than look within and think, well, actually, what if they were a good hire, but we were at fault in the way in which we created an environment where they could thrive, not just professionally, but, but personally and authentically. Yeah. Now, and we're not going off topic. I, I like, of course, because I'm a presentation coach, I'm interested in how everything applies to communication. But I'm very, as you said before, I'm very open minded and I like to explore topics from different angles. So no problem at all. And also because you said, Jackie, I'm also a professional speaker. Uh, which is great. It's very much aligned with what we talk about here in this podcast. And so I also know that you gave a TEDx talk, which is amazing. I highly recommend it to everybody. The, correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember the title, well, The Exclusive Nature of Inclusion, right? Correct. Yeah. Great, great presentation, great talk. So you can find it, Jackie Handy, TEDx yeah. talk on YouTube. Now, I, you also told me in preparation for this chat that you had four weeks or even less than that between the time you accepted the, the offer and the actual talk. So I would love to understand a little bit more about that journey, those four weeks. How did you go about making sure that you were ready to deliver mm -hmm. that talk at that level in less than four weeks? Yeah, um, and you're quite right. Yes, uh, it is the exclusive nature of inclusion and um, it was the craziest four weeks ever. Um, <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm recently made a fellow member of the Professional Speaking Association of UK and Ireland and, um, and I joined the uh, PSA, uh, gosh, it'll be three years in February. And, and I joined because the PSA doesn't just talk about um, crafting your speech. Um, that's a bit more Toastmasters, which are, are very good in things like that. Um, and of course, people like yourself, uh, Andrea. Um, the PSA talks about a speaking business. 
so yeah. that's uh, good for coaches and consultants and trainers and speakers. So I joined them and uh, and they have an emerging speakers competition every year and where a select few can, if you're in your first year of membership, you can apply to take part. It's a little bit like X Factor, but speaker factor, they call it. You have five minutes to deliver a talk and they judge you very strictly, not only on your timekeeping, but also on your bookability, your messages and so forth. And um, and I'm, I kind of go for it, you know, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So that meant that I had to craft a five minute talk. I did that and I won my regional heat. Um, and that, I mean, you will know, and I'm sure many in your audience will know that actually the shorter presentations are more challenging than if you're talking for an hour, hour and a half, whatever. So, um, so that was a, a tough gig. And, uh, and just after I'd won that heat, I heard about TEDx Telford. And uh, I mentioned I, I live in Shropshire, which so Telford is the, uh, you know, in this county. And I thought, yeah, I'll go for that because I was on a crest of a wave. You know, I just I just won my heat. And um, so I applied, not really expecting to hear a lot, but I did. And I heard about, um, you know, my acceptance, if you like, um, two days before I was going on a two week holiday. Um, to find out that uh, it was, in fact, four weeks from the date I was informed. So that meant two weeks out of the country, two weeks in the country. Um, so I thought, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do? This is a great opportunity. Um, what am I going to do? So I thought, well, actually, the five minute presentation I gave at the Speaker Factor competition, I will use that as my base and extend that with story. And, um, and so that was, if you like, I had a little bit of a head start with yep. some of the messages. Um, so what did I do? I, I basically, I had the key messages and, and I'm sure you teach this and people in your network understand this, but you know, it's about not trying to cram too much into it. So if you have, I don't know, three, messages great great rule of thumb isn't it you know three key messages the rule of that, three yeah right it can be more memorable and so forth so i'd got three core elements to what i wanted to you know uh, get over to the audience and so it was just really about finding story that enabled those messages to really resonate and um and and i found a couple of jokes in there and so on you know but again humor got to be very mindful of humor and uh, the fact that it again could ostracize people in the audience so um i i tend to find if in doubt use a bit of self-deprecation right yeah. or, and um you know so i spoke a little bit about um yeah well People have to watch it, I won't say, but, um, but there was a couple of jokes in there because what I wanted to ensure was that um, it, it was it's quite a challenging journey and I didn't want people to leave thinking, gosh. So I needed to give them permission to laugh. I needed to uh, enable the mood to come back up. Um, so I took them on a really emotional journey as much as anything else. So once I'd got those stories in place, it was then uh, you could say the three P's, but maybe you could say the five P's practice, practice, <laughs> practice, 
practice and practice and so I I was on holiday in Rhodes a great Greek island and uh, I literally every single day of that holiday I would say I'm going in and I'm going to practice and and I would go in and practice for an hour there or thereabouts every day Um, I still managed to have a good suntan by the end of the holiday but that's another story Um, and, and what I would do as well is sometimes I would video myself just on my phone Um, so that I could watch back, look at my movement, look at the gesturing, um, listen to the flow, really. And and I practiced so much that by the time I actually delivered the talk, it didn't sound practiced, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. and, uh, and, And what happened on the day... And yeah, what happened on the day was somebody in the audience and and people will see this when they watch, but um, she shouted something out. It wasn't a heckle. It was just something. And I was able to respond in the moment to her with, uh, you know, something else and still be able to go back to where I was because it was it was internalized. You know, for for those for those four weeks, um, if you'd have cut me in half. I'd have had TEDx talk all the way through me, you know, and um, and it was interesting because you you can only really I mean everybody is different, but in, for for me I could only really give a deep, true sense of an authenticity where I wasn't really worrying about what was coming next, and the only reason the only way I could get to a not worrying about what was coming next was practice. Yeah. Um, and um, there's something there's something Jackie that I I think I read in the book by Chris Anderson the curator of TED the, mm-hmm. the conference and he uses this analogy he says that practicing and rehearsing is a bit like going up a hill a mountain he says if you if you start going up and then you stop then you will never get to the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and rehearsing is the same. If you rehearse, say a couple, especially for important presentations, you practice yeah. a couple of times and then you stop, then of course you sound robotic. You haven't got to the top of the hill yet. So what you need to do is you need to continue going up, which means that you need to practice a bit more and a bit more so yeah. that you can start going down. And you're right. What what What's interesting is people say often, well, I don't like to rehearse because I don't want to appear robotic, but it's the opposite. The, yes, well, the, I, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The more you rehearse without memorizing, of course, because I mean, it depends on what makes people comfortable, but I'm yeah. not asking anybody to memorize word for word, although some people like to do that and that's fine. There is no right or wrong approach. Mm-hmm. But if you rehearse and if you practice, if you know exactly pretty much what to say and when, then not only will you not appear robotic, but the the flow will appear very natural to the audience. Absolutely. And I think the the um, so the thing that I found helped me was having those messages. So having those three key points, because it was almost like now I know I'm talking about this. So I'd only almost got to remember what the three messages were. And also then um, when I was on the first message, I'd got that bit of story. 
Um, so message, story, and maybe a reiteration of the message. And then that was that bit done, right? And, and then I could move on to the next bit. And all I'd got to worry about then was the story and the message. And, and then there was just a little bit, of course, that wraps everything together at the end so that you have that lovely finale, as it were. Um, but, I, and, and, and actually, in, when I delivered the, um, the, the TEDx talk, I used, because you, you probably know everybody, but um, that you have that red dot. Um, it's quite a big red dot, but it's a red dot nevertheless. And, and they suggest that you stay on it, right? Uh, and that helps with video and all sorts of things. And, and I wanted to make sure that I could still use my body and that my body would help me remember where I was at as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I knew that I was going to have, so for example, I had gestures like here and here, which I knew what they meant, your viewers will when they watch it, but you know, I knew what they meant, but also within that red dot, rather than a distinct walk forward, there was just a subtle shift and, and that sort of helped me say, right, so now I'm on the next bit, physically and, well, not metaphorically, but you know, physically and literally, I'm, I'm at the next bit. And so that subtle movement was almost like a trigger to remind me as well. So there's lots yeah. and lots of little tips and things, you know, yeah. um, that, that, that kind of were brought in. And my TEDx is around about 12 and a half minutes in length. So, you know, when you, again, break that down, that's really... I would say, what, a, a minute or two's intro, around three minutes on each section, and then a minute or two's wrap up and finale. So when you can break it down like that, and the same would apply for a 30 minute or a 60 minute presentation, you know, but break it down into chunks, I would say, and then practice that fluidity of making those chunks fit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and a couple of a couple of things there. So that subtle movement that you were talking about helped you, but you also helped the audience follow right. you and 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 be with you. And then, yeah, absolutely, what you've shared is the simplest and most effective presentation structure, which, as you said, a hundred percent agree with you. It applies whether you need to give a twelve-minute talk or a thirty-minute presentation, even a three-hour workshop why not but right. if you think about exactly. it especially for short presentations but it applies all the time mm -hmm. if you find a way to hook your audience to capture their attention at the beginning and then you communicate your three key messages of course mm -hmm. then depending on how much time you have you can and you should support each message with stories examples it could be data sometimes in a business oh, yes. presentation yeah. And then a powerful conclusion, making it very clear to the audience what was your point and why they should care about it. That's it. It right. will be a very effective presentation. And I think, you know, something to add here is, especially in business, um, we sometimes think um, that we're giving a, um, a head-centered um, presentation, right? So you might be displaying facts and figures, statistics, customer data, analysis, etc. But people will still get connected with the heart as well, right? So I would say if you're doing quite a data heavy presentation, bring some heart into it. And the same applies um, with a heart centered presentation. My, my 
uh, TEDx talk was quite heart-centered, but as you rightly say, there was still some analysis for those people that wanted the data and the analytics. Because again, going back to that earlier inclusion point, when people think and process differently, they want different information. So how are you going to appeal to everybody in your audience Head and heart would yeah. be my advice in relation to that. Yeah. Um, and I suppose there was one other thing that perhaps to add that maybe I did a little bit differently. I think when we when we talk about structuring presentations and so forth, um, we we say, you know, how do you start a presentation? Maybe you ask a question, maybe you have a statement, yeah. maybe you give a fact and, you know, etc. And those are all great bits of advice, by the way. Um, I actually ended my presentation, my TEDx presentation, with a question. I remember that. And it was a question that, um, although you can't hear it, and I'm gutted actually, you couldn't hear it in the recording, but everybody shouted yes. Ah, yeah, you, could, you can't hear you that. You can't okay. hear it, no. And I promise you it happened because it was the most touching and moving thing. Because, um, and I'm, I'm not going to say on here what the question was, but um, when you, you know, hopefully your viewers will watch the talk, but. But fundamentally, the the whole that question, everything prior had built up to me asking that question, hoping for a yes. And I got it. And so that almost gave me the reassurance as the presenter that the message had been heard and understood. Yeah. And that was almost a lovely way of getting immediate feedback for me as well. Yeah. Now that's great. No, absolutely. And I was thinking about something else that you've just mentioned before, and we are doing this live and it's okay. I like to make it informal because I don't remember now what I wanted to say, but it was important. Something that you mentioned. Um, okay, I just forgot it. Maybe we'll do a part two of this interview. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, maybe. One, thing, one thing I wanted to ask you, Jackie, is again, if you think about inclusion, diversity, everything we've talked about today, it doesn't have to be necessarily linked to communication, although if it is, even better. Do you have maybe any books or things to read, resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, again, there's a, there's a whole plethora of, of books. And of course, I'm going to mention my own. Um, so um, I, I actually wrote a book called The Little Book of Belonging, it's behind me on the shelf, actually, just a little bit of promotion there. And, uh, and that's, um, it's, it's a very, very simple desk sits on your desk. So it's only available on my website, Amazon can't produce them. So, um, and you flip it over, it's your weekly guide to inclusive habits. Nice. And it gives you a, it gives you a quote, and it gives you a reflection. And, um, and the quotes basically on, they're not linked to your traditional, you know, did you know that was bias and you know don't say this don't say that but instead it's getting people to reflect on how they can get to really understand different people um how they can educate themselves you know and it really gets them to look within it can be quite a challenging journey um but it, it's it's a very reflective piece so it doesn't actually list you should do this because i deliberately didn't want it to be dictatorial because we receive information differently and that's really important with for presenting um, but it is a very reflective book so um, so that's the little book of belonging there are so many books out there on diversity and inclusion and various elements of the topic as well so um, I suppose the 
the best thing I would say, um, and it isn't for promotion, but it's for genuine uh, positive intention. If anybody listening wants to reach out and they've got a specific question or whatever, I'm really happy to point them in the direction of something, a resource, uh, a podcast, only once they've listened to yours, um, a, a podcast, a book, a, a TED talk, etc., cetera, um, that, that will help them understand a bit more. And That's I'd be delighted great. to do that. That's great. And if people want to reach out to you, well, what's the best way for them to do it? Uh, well, there's, a, again, a whole host of ways. My website is uh, simply www.jackiehandy.com. Um, click on the shop link and you'll find the book. Um, I, I do a lot on LinkedIn. So I'm Jackie Handy and I'm FPSA, F-I-R-P, which is, uh, so that's basically um, the Fellowship of the PSA, Professional Speaking Association. And I'm also a fellow of the Institute of Recruitment Practice. So um uh, from my recruiting background, of course. So they'll find me on LinkedIn, Jackie Handy. Um, I, I run a Facebook group as well, actually, um, which is called The Power of I, and um, based around the power of inclusion. And basically, that is what I've set up as a safe space for people to come in, maybe ask those questions they're not too sure about asking elsewhere. Um, we share hints, we share news, um, and, and we help people with their inclusion journeys. Um, and then finally, I've got videos on YouTube. So uh, again, Jackie Handy, they'll find me on YouTube. So Perfect. lots of ways to get in touch. Perfect. And Jackie, before we wrap up today, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Is there a question maybe that you wanted me to ask you and I didn't do it? Anything else you, you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I think... Um, I think it's been a lovely, nice conversation with you, Andrea, and uh, and thank you for the questions that you have asked. I mean, you can probably tell I'm really passionate about um, the subject, so I could talk forever. So I'm quite glad that you've managed to limit me quite nicely, actually. Um, but but nevertheless, I've had opportunity to speak, which has been lovely. Um, I, I think all I would say is give yourself permission to make mistakes, because you will make mistakes. Um, but a bit like your analogy of climbing that mountain, never stop trying. You know, it, it is um, life is a journey, isn't it? And, um, and, you know, I'm not just a speaker. I'm a, a consultant and training facilitator as well. And I would say, you know, never stop learning. That is so important. And every day is a school day. Um, you know, so give yourself permission to make mistakes, but also be disciplined enough with yourself to keep learning because it will not only enhance probably your business, but it will absolutely enhance your communication and your presentations. That's great. Thank you very much. It's a great place to end this conversation. I also need to thank you, Jackie, because this is, I can, I can say I've been over the last few months, I've been interviewing many people and experts on lots of things, always very much connected to public speaking, presentations, communication. And I can say that for the first time, this interview for me was a bit new or different because of course there is a strong connection anyway, but if you just think about inclusion and diversity, then it was new to me as well. But I enjoyed it very, very much. I'm glad that you've decided to accept our invitation. Thank you very much, Jackie, for your time, for sharing your insights. And let's keep in touch. All the very best. 
Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ideas on Stage podcast, there are many more you might like. So please subscribe, leave us a review and tell us what you think. You can find many more ideas on business communication at ideasonstage.com or by searching for Ideas on Stage on iTunes, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.